Welcome to My Writing Table, a podcast where you'll hear from your favorite authors, creatives, and publishing professionals. We'll talk about books, the writing craft, and the often wonky journey to publication. Today's guest is Amy Popel. Amy Popel grew up in Dallas. She and her husband have lived in many cities and had three sons along the way. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Rumpus, and Working Mother, just to name a few. She is also the best-selling author of Small Admissions, Limelight, and Musical Chairs, and she's written the theatrical version of Small Admissions. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for having me. Oh, Amy, we're so glad to have you. Um, You have a varied resume, um, obviously very strong in writing, but also other arts, too. Is this a product of the way you grew up, or have you always just been naturally creative? It's funny. I don't even know if I think of myself as super creative, because I've also had jobs um, that are on the less creative side. But um, I actually always knew that I should do something that had something to do with books. Because I just knew that I loved books and the place where I knew that books could be found were in libraries. So I just thought that that meant that I should grow up to be a librarian. Um, I spent a lot of time in libraries when I was young and I always loved reading. And um, when I was really quite young, I started writing little stories. But somehow I put that whole idea, just it just sort of ended up on the back burner for most of my life because I didn't end up publishing my first book until I was 50. Um, my few years in the acting world, I think, which is obviously a more creative endeavor, um, that really contributed a lot to my writing and to my that experience of being on stage helped me really understand the notion of audience and it helped me with dialogue, and it helped me with pacing. So the years that I spent in theater really ended up, I didn't imagine that this would be the case, but it really ended up helping a lot. <laughs> so I wrote a full-length novel about my, you know, a fictionalized version of the lives of my grandparents. And it was funny, and it's still a book that's kind of close to my heart. Um, I got an agent because of that book, but after I worked on it, I mean, in terms of, you know, authors needing to (laughs) have a certain degree of perseverance, you know, you have to stick with it. I worked on that book for many years. I'm going to say I worked on it for three or four years. And then I got my agent and she said, it's not done. You really need to keep working on it. So I worked on it for another full year. And at the end of that year, she said, you know what, we're not going to even try it's, it's helped you become a writer and it's interesting and maybe you'll return to it someday, but this is not a good book to go out with for your career. And how did that feel? Oh my gosh. I mean, I will never forget the words she said, which were, and I know if there are any writers out there listening and you finally finished your book, I know that you'll know what this felt like. She said, do you have anything else up your sleeve? I have every pocket is is full of these stories, right? I have other novels tucked right up my sleeve. I was like, no, I don't have anything else tucked up my sleeve. Now that turned out to be a really good thing for her to say to me because it did make me realize you do always need to be thinking about the next thing. You can't just finish and be like, okay, I'm done. Now I'm not going to do anything until that book is on the shelf. Like you just have to put it aside and keep going and just, you know, try something else. But 
to answer your question, I was so discouraged. I mean, I think I went to bed for two weeks. I was so discouraged. I just thought all that time, and it was a story so close to my heart, and I really believed in it. And sure, that was really discouraging. But, you know, after my little, I let myself wallow around in self-pity for a little spell. And then I got up and I thought, well, what is up my sleeve? (laughs) There must be something. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when I started working on small admissions. So it was another, easily another full year before I finished that book. So you just have to keep going. You just cannot, if you're a writer, you're not going to stop after one book anyway. So you always need to be thinking about the next book, working on the next book. So that was kind of, it was a hard lesson, but it was kind of a good lesson. If that yeah. makes I'm guessing your, um, your history informed your writing of small admissions. Um, definitely. So when she said, what do you have up your sleeve? And my first thought was absolutely nothing. I realized it wasn't even, it, it began not even in terms of my working in admissions. So I had always been, I'd been a high school English teacher for years And we ended up moving to New York City, and my husband and I had to start with really no background on how the New York City public school, excuse me, private school system works. We didn't know anything about the public school system. NYU was sort of helping us sort of get settled into our new life in New York, because that's where my husband works. And I remember they called me one day and said, oh, we have such fantastic news to tell me that my child had actually been accepted at public school. And (laughs) This was so confusing to me because I thought the one thing I could be sure of was that I could send my child to the local public school, but that's not how it works in New York. Um, So when I found out that the public school system is so difficult to navigate, it was no surprise to me that the private school system was really difficult to navigate. And my husband and I, you know, we get along well and we're both, you know, fairly reasonable people. And we started interviewing these private schools for our other kids. And we, we were so terrible at it. I mean, like really astonishingly bad at it. Like we disagreed with each other in the middle of interviews. And I remember my husband like called one of our kids, like he like used a bad word at one point. And I was like, what are you doing? I kind of kicked him under the table. And it was just hilarious to me that we botched these interviews so badly. And so I started writing comedic scenes about parents interviewing for their children at schools. And that's really how small admissions started. Um, Coincidentally, I ended up getting a job in admissions. Um, That was really not something that I had set out to do, but I ended up working there. So I suddenly got this inside glimpse to the other side of the desk. And that sort of helped me fill, like all these were were little comedic sketches. And um, so in terms of what was up my sleeve, it was turning those comedic sketches that I really just wrote for myself for fun. I ended up, you know, combining those with my experience as an admissions worker, and I ended up writing small admissions. I'm going to come back to your admissions story when we talk about Limelight, but I want to know, did the boys get into private schools? <laughs> After all that? Yes. After all of that. Like, funny it would be. One of your books. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it would be so funny to sort of exaggerate what happened and like what, what would happen if you had parents actually, you know, fighting when they've got this other mission, which is to get their kids accepted into school. So it just struck me as kind of hilarious. Definitely. The next book you wrote, Limelight, um, we met this main character who was on the cut on the cusp of her cross country move from Texas. 
Did you draw from your own experiences as a Texas transplant who now lives in New York? Yes. I mean, I definitely, I didn't move to New York from Texas, but I certainly lived in Texas for years and years. And I really think the thing that's so extraordinary when you move to New York um, is that there are some real highs and lows in an adjustment like that. So, you know, lows being that the space, you have to just get used to living with so much less space and everything's so expensive. And you then you sort of start to realize, well, why is everything so expensive and so tight here? And then you start to discover the great things about living in New York. And that's when you understand people saying, well, it's worth it. You know, it's worth it to live here because of all the marvelous things about living in New York. So I sort of went through what my main character, Allison, went through. We sort of, um, it was after I had been in New York for a while, but yes, I definitely drew on the funny experiences of sharing an apartment with three growing kids and um, some of the challenges and the the way your kids just get used to eating out all the time, which was not something that I was used to when we were living in the suburbs of Maryland, which is where I moved to New York. I drew on the humor of that and on just some of the absurdity of it and the shock of going from sort of driving around big parking lots, you know, with your SUV. I could not imagine driving through New York City with the cars that we drove when we, you know, I'm from Texas as well. And, and yeah. cars, you know, I had, I remember having one of those uh, limo long Suburbans. Right. And you think, <laughs> how in the world would you, and, and I think your character had what, a, an Explorer, like a four-door? Yes. Exactly. If you come from a place like Texas where space is not an issue. Right? I wrote that book in first person because I really wanted the reader to feel like he or she is really along for the ride, you know, is really sort of experiencing this with her because I sort of wanted people in different parts of the country to know what that would feel like and to know what it would feel like to sort of end up in this sort of exciting, crazy theater world, you know, sort of the fun and craziness of all of that. Um, But that was sort of why I ended up writing that book in, first person is I just wanted it to be very immediate. Oh, thank you. I think there was another thing that I could possibly have played up a little bit more that I realized was so much in my mind as I was writing that book. And that is that Allison is a high school teacher. And of course, as I said, I taught high school for many years. When you're, when you're, when that's your job, and you walk into school every day and there are certain kids you wish wouldn't even come into the classroom. You know, mm-hmm. like they're the really difficult kids who make every class harder for you. They make your job harder for you. You don't get to choose like I'm going to teach this child or I'm not going to teach this child. Like you're teaching this child, period. And no matter what they bring that day, no matter how difficult they are that day, um, that's your job. And you're not going to walk out of the room and you're not going to send them out of the room. Um And that was so much in my mind because I am a former teacher and I had Allison be a former teacher, but I don't think I sort of explain to people who aren't teachers how what that does to you mentally is it sort of makes you think, I think we're going, I think that I explained carefully enough the the fact that as a teacher, you get into this mindset of you don't get to walk out on kids. Um, You you have three sons. What did they think of the of the young man in the book. I definitely called on my kids to help me with this book because I wanted help with the dialogue. I wanted the dialogue to come across as very authentic and possible. And 
So I would read the scenes out loud with them, even the ones with bad words, um, <laughs> to make sure that I wasn't sounding like a grown-up trying to sound like a teenager. Um, the actor Kevin Klein is in Limelight. And are, <laughs> are you a fan? I, I am a fan. I saw Kevin Klein in um, Perfect, uh, excuse me, Present Laughter on Broadway and just thought he was brilliant in it. Um, he's so good on stage. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s. So a lot of those early Kevin Klein movies were favorites of mine. And um, yeah, I just thought he would be so perfect in this particular fictional musical that I wrote. And when it was in Present Laughter, the New York Times reviewed it and they actually compared him to Charlie Chaplin, like in terms of his physicality on stage and in terms of his humor and I just thought he would be perfect. And he strikes me as a nice guy. I don't know a thing about him. Um, but I thought... He's married he, to Phoebe Cates. He must be. Yes, exactly. And I thought oh. you know, he's old enough that he would potentially know. And, you know, I did actually interview Tony Shalhoub when I was writing this book. The guy, um, the man who plays the father in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and who I've right. also seen on Broadway. And he it has the same kind of temperament that I was going for, which is somebody who sort of confident, calm, stable, and who could do their part to help this very sort of insecure slash cocky young kid find their feet and to do something that is as challenging as a Broadway show is because wow, is that challenging. Um, so Kevin, Kevin Klein was just a really perfect choice for me for that. You know, your book's all three of them are just a fun mix of good and tenderness. Do you plan them that way or is it just something that happens? So I, have you ever heard of this new book by George Saunders? I recommend this to all of your listeners. It is called A Swim. A Hold on, I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Um, um, just an extraordinarily interesting book. And he talks a lot about admiring certain writers, which I do. There are lots of writers who I read and I love and I admire. And then, you know, maybe you think I'm going to try to write like that. But then at the end of the day, you have to sort of write like you, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't imitate really. You have to sort of find your own style. So to, it's called a swim in a pond in the rain. And it's a very, it makes you feel like you've gone back to class because he reads, he will actually Nick Offerman, Glenn Close, all of these famous people read these Russian short stories and then he analyzes them. And in the process of doing all that, he also just talks a lot about writing and style and I'm thoroughly enjoying this book right now. But when he talks about, when I, it really hit home with me when he said, you know, you have to sort of figure out what is your style. And I, you know, I'll give an example of Limelight. I had, there was a character died in Limelight in my first draft and it was sad. And I, I can't, I don't do sad. I, I can do, I hope, you know, something that makes you feel something emotionally, but I don't, I like uplifting. I, it's sort of, I like humor. Humor is what literally gets me through every single day is trying to find the humor in difficult situations. So I, I guess in a way, especially now that I'm working on my fourth book, I think I do sort of set out to do that because I know it's what I do. 
your voice. <laughs> it's your voice and your stories. And that's, you know, that's something that like, that's the reason we go back for another one because you have that recipe down and we know we're going to get that when we go back. So I'm glad, I'm glad to know that that's something we can depend on. Yes. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't branch out in other ways. Like you can always challenge yourself and you can always try to sort of find um, something new and different and hard that you want to work on. Um, but I do think that something that will probably stay consistent with me is that too neat and tidy. Um, I do like a happy ending. I do like a book that makes you feel uplifted at the end and amused <laughs> and hopefully diverted, pleasantly diverted. Especially um, after a year like this one. Yes, exactly. Tell us a little bit about how your author relationships affect your work. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, speaking of COVID, I have a group of authors that I'm really close friends with. And we've been, uh, we've literally, we have our Thursday night Zoom. We talk every Thursday and just sort of catch up. And it's mostly just personal, but it's also how's the writing going. And um, I have the most incredible group of writers in New York who are such a good support. I mean, we help each other, we post about each other's work, we give pep talks. Um, I don't, I, I guess I didn't know this coming into this career that I was going to end up part of a really incredible community um, of men and women. I don't know how I would get through the day without them, actually. The ups and downs. It's too hard to do this by yourself. I mean, yes, of course, there are days and days where you're just at your laptop and you're not talking to anybody. But to know that you can send a text to somebody and say, I'm stuck, or you can call somebody and say, I don't know how to negotiate this contract. You know, you can, it's just really important to be able to have people that you can talk to. So I recommend people just be bold. I'm not, I'm a fairly shy person, but writers are so open. Just reach out to them, reach out to them on Twitter, reach out to them through their websites, like just be authentic when you reach out to them and you will find that you've got more support than you thought possible. When, when you brand a new manuscript with the words, the end, how do you celebrate? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Chris, uh, I kind of don't. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's because you're never at the end. I mean, you really don't hit the end until so much later than when you thought you hit the end that I sort of. I sort of celebrate very um, tentatively. I'm not. Yes. <laughs> oh, this has, been, this has been so much fun, Amy, talking to you about these books that I love so much. And so oh, thank you. Are so, so kind. And I am um, very excited that the paperback for musical chairs is coming oh, out. Yeah. Tell us April. about it. When does it come out? It's coming out April the 13th. Yay. Uh, right around the corner. It is right around the corner. And if you look at my website, which is just my name, amypopel.com, um, you'll find all kinds of things from a Spotify playlist that goes along with this book, Musical Chairs, um, That because uh, there's a lot of music in this book. And the playlist is a lot of fun because if you ever feel like listening to anything that's in there, you can just look at the playlist and play it. And there's also book trailers from my first book and my third book and um, book club guides and all kinds of things. And always reach out to me. Authors love to hear from their readers and from other authors. So 
um, always, when you finish a book, always reach out to the author and let them know because it's really fun for us. For more information on Amy, go to her website, amypopel.com. Writer's Table podcast music by Pavel Uden and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review. Writers and book lovers, submit your questions to writingtablepodcast at gmail.com. That's writingtablepodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit Chris Clink's Writing Table on Facebook and check out upcoming episodes. See who will be joining us at The Writing Table. See you there.